Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, friends. I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Chosen People. And I don't know about you, but it's getting to feel like Christmas is around the corner. And I'm really looking forward to all that the Lord's going to do during this Hanukkah Christmas season. As missionaries to the Jewish people, which is what Chosen People Ministries is all about, we spend a lot of time doing special outreach during the Hanukkah Christmas season. Hanukkah because it points to Jesus, the light of the world, and of course, Christmas because it points to the incarnation. And the incarnation where God became man was not only something that was clearly taught in the New Testament, but I want to tell you, it actually was pretty clearly taught in the Old Testament as well. And so there's a lot of prophecy about God becoming a man and a lot of prophecy about setting up his throne. And some of this really all comes together at Christmas. And we're going to take you through the Bible and show you why. And then hopefully it will not only bless you, but maybe God will give you an opportunity during this season of the year to actually share the gospel through messianic prophecy with a Jewish friend. Jewish people traditionally do not in any way, shape, or form accept the deity of Jesus. Jewish people do not believe Jesus is the Messiah and certainly do not believe that God can become a man. In fact, in many Jewish circles, this would be viewed as idolatry. Not idolatry for you if you're not Jewish, but idolatry for me because I believe it and I'm Jewish. But the reason I believe in the incarnation, the reason I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh is because it is absolutely consistent with the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Joining me today is Bobby Walter, our New York Regional Director and Brooklyn Branch Leader, and I'm so glad to have Bobby with us. He's a graduate of our Charles Feinberg Center on Messianic Jewish Studies. And so he's slugged it out for three or four years, learning Greek and Hebrew and studying the Bible very carefully, and is one of our finest graduates of that school, which is based in Brooklyn in a part of the Talbot School of Theology, which is part of Biola in the greater Los Angeles area. And so with all, all of that, those kind words, I think, of your great training, Bobby, I, you know, the pressure's on, brother. Thank you very much, Mitch. <laughs> and uh, shalom and welcome, everyone. You're listening to The Chosen People. Yeah, Mitch, tis the season, right? And so I'm excited to talk today about the incarnation, about uh, the prophetic underpinnings of the coming of the Messiah uh, and how God became flesh. So, Bobby, tell us a little bit about what, what for me is one of my absolute favorite verses. I love going over this passage with Jewish people. And in chapter 7 through 12, some expositors would call that the book of Emmanuel uh, because it speaks about Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And there are at least two great passages, actually more, which we can even talk about, but two well-known great passages which describe both the virgin birth, the deity of Jesus, and the deity of Jesus 
and his eternal reign on the throne of his great, 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 great grandfather, David. You want to share some of that with us, Bobby? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, you're referring to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in chapter 7 with promise of the, the virgin shall conceive. But really, it's, it's Isaiah chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 6, where we have arguably one of the strongest passages and prophecies about God coming to dwell among us. And this is what it says. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All I want to do is shout amen, Bobby. What an incredible passage. Yeah, it really is powerful. So we kind of like just step back for a second and look at what Isaiah is telling us here. He's first of all starting it out by saying that a child is going to be born to us, right? So someone, a human being is going to be born through, you know, regular, normal, natural means, so it seems, right? But this child is going to be significant, is going to be unique, is going to be very special because he will bear the, the name And then he gives these four distinct titles that this special child who's going to be born is going to carry. So there are four wonderful names that express the character of the coming, uh, this coming king. Uh, So in Isaiah 7, 14, we know that he's born of a virgin, the Hebrew word Alma. We know that his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, or Emmanuel, the Em is with us and the L is God, so you can almost translate it, with us, God, the emphasis on the fact that he is here. And then this same child is given four other names in Hebrew couplets, two words making up one name. So they're very descriptive, and I, I view them as windows into the character of, uh, and the nature of, the, of this person. So the first is Peloyoetz, or Wonderful Counselor. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that we could have any better counselor than God himself. Mm. And, uh, and it's an appeal for each of us to turn to the Lord when we have questions. So often we turn to man before we turn to God. We need to turn to him first. And it's just a reminder. Pelio, that's wonderful counselor. And uh, Paul writes in Romans 11, who has become his counselor? In other words, which one of us counsels God? None of us give God advice. He's always the one who gives us advice. So Pelayoetz. And then Aviad, eternal father or father of eternity. Again, it speaks of his eternal nature. And then El Gibor, mighty God. It speaks of God the warrior, which is what El Gibor really means. That word mighty is an emphasis on his fighting our battles. And isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus, Yeshua, fights our battles, not only on earth, but in the heavens as well. And then the last name is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And a lot of times, uh, chosen people will use the phrase Beth Sar Shalom. It's actually even the name of the congregation that Bobby helps lead and, and shepherd. Beth Sar Shalom means the house, Beth, of the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. 
Only this one in Brooklyn is called Beth Saw Shalom Brooklyn with a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> and But the emphasis again is that he is the prince, the peace. He's the ruler who not only brings peace to our hearts, but ultimately brings peace to the world. And so these four names, the Hebrew couplets, are wonderful descriptions that can only be fulfilled by someone who meets all of these characteristics. They need to be mighty God. They need to be the father of eternity. They need to be one who is in no need of counseling himself. And so there's only one person ever born among human beings who could ever fulfill all of these glorious, beautiful, profound names, and that is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. That's right, Mitch. These titles, the fact that the Messiah is going to carry these names, these titles, like Isaiah says in Isaiah 9-6, really speak to the eternal side, the eternal nature, and the eternal character of Yeshua, of Jesus. But it also talks more about and points to the eternal nature of his kingdom. And really, that's what we see sort of laid out for us in verse 7, where he's connected with David, right? There's going to be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So, Isaiah is letting us know that he's going to be God with us, he has an eternal nature, an eternal character, and he's going to be the king over an eternal kingdom. And we know it's an eternal kingdom because that's what God promised to David. So when we think about David and the connection with the Messiah, we think about the, uh, the city of David, the town of David, Bethlehem or Bethlehem, even more. We have even more information about the Messiah. Isn't that right? Absolutely. So, Bobby, let me quote to you Micah chapter 5, verse 2, such an important uh, verse of Scripture. Micah was a, actually a contemporary of Isaiah. In the Jewish Bible, because the verses are arranged a little differently, it's Micah 5.1. But in our Bible, it's Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it's a great promise, but it has a real punch to it that's consistent with Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But as for you, Bethlehem, or Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And so we know that Bethlehem, the historic home of King David, of Ruth, his great-great-great-great-grandmother, and of his greater son, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, we know that he had to be born in Bethlehem because that's what the prophet said. And it was Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah because Judah was the tribe through which the kingly line would pass. And he would be a ruler for God in Israel in fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, and so on that we talked about a few weeks ago, of the Davidic covenant. So the Davidic covenant all leads in a beautiful way to Jesus the Messiah. But then the prophet says one more thing. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He uses two Hebrew words, kedem, K-E-D-E-M, and olam, O-L-A-M. When those two words are used together to describe somebody, they're usually used together to describe God. And so this baby born in the house of bread, who indeed would be the bread of life, 
was not just any ruler in Israel. He would be a Davidic ruler. And not only would he be a Davidic ruler, but his origins are from everlasting. So in other words, this ruler would be God himself. And that's why the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and this passage in Micah just sync together so wonderfully and beautifully. And we see them fulfilled in the early chapters of the Gospels, such as Matthew 1 and 2. And so we know that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, and that little baby was God in the flesh. And I think there's a beautiful song. Uh, I forget the name of it. Um, Mary, did you know? <laughs> I always forget the name of it. And um, I love the one line that when you kiss the little baby, you kiss the face of God. And it's just such a, such a wonderful thing. And we celebrate this during this great season of the year. You're listening to The Chosen People. And for the next few weeks, we are going to be preparing for Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus by looking at Advent, a word which simply means coming in Latin. Advent's a time where we can prepare our hearts spiritually and focus on the fulfilled prophecies outlined in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the new of Jesus' first coming. And this, of course, will even prepare us for the second coming because we know that if the first coming was the fulfillment of prophecy, and of course he came, then we know that the other prophecies that are outstanding about his second coming will be fulfilled as well. And so we look forward to hearing our second lesson on Advent. Advent is a time of hope, a time when we remember the hope that Yeshua brought us at his first coming, and when we look forward with hope for his second coming. But what exactly does hope mean? The Bible describes hope as a confident expectation that the Lord will fulfill his promises. The author of Hebrews wrote, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our faith is fueled by hope, which the writer calls a confident assurance that the things God has promised, He will fulfill. The first promise we find in the Jewish scriptures of a coming Messiah is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It comes directly after the serpent, Satan, successfully deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to sin against God. God cursed the serpent and said to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Theologians refer to this promise as the first gospel or the proto-evangelium. God told Satan that he would one day send the seed of a woman to bruise Satan's head and in the process, Satan would bruise the seed's heel. It is the first glimmer of hope in the Jewish Bible of a coming Messiah, this seed of a woman who would defeat Satan and defeat sin. This prophecy finds its fulfillment in Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel. At his first advent, he was born of a Jewish woman named Miriam or Mary, and he came to bruise Satan's head by defeating the power of sin and death, and in the process, his heel was bruised. 
through his death and his resurrection as he obtained eternal redemption for all who would put their hope in him. The prophet Isaiah also foretold of this hope, this hope of a coming Messiah, whose heel would be bruised in the process of defeating sin, death, and Satan. Isaiah, writing more than 700 years before the advent of Yeshua, wrote the following concerning the coming Messiah. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote that the Messiah would come to die for our sins at his first advent. God is faithful to his promises, and he has sent Jesus the Messiah to die for our sins and pay the price for our redemption. But we also have the promise and hope of his second coming, when the promise of Genesis 3.15 will reach its full completion. The Jewish apostle Paul, writing to the believers in Rome, wrote this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Perhaps Paul had in mind the imagery used in Genesis 3.15 of the woman's seed crushing the serpent's head. And Paul wrote to the believers with full assurance, full hope, that Jesus would indeed soon return. So why do we hope for his return? It is no secret that this world needs saving. Everywhere we look, we see death, we see suffering, we see destruction. But as believers, especially at Advent, we can reflect on the hope that we have, that one day all things will be made right again, restored to how God originally intended them to be. Revelation 21.4 says that when Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. How we long for that day with hope a confident expectation that indeed it will come. So this Advent, let us reflect on the hope that Jesus brought at his first coming and let us hope for the day of his return. God was faithful in fulfilling his promise to send the Messiah the first time and we can trust that he will be faithful to return the second time. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us today. The holidays are a great time to reflect on what God is doing in our lives and what He's already done for us. And when you reach out and say hi to us this month, we'll send you a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. This powerful presentation on the Feast of Dedication is designed to help you better understand this eight-day Jewish celebration, which commemorates the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem during the second century BC. Hanukkah is not mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, but it is mentioned in the New Testament in John 10:22. And we know that Jesus himself celebrated this wonderful holiday. And it's a great way to see the gospel through Jewish eyes during this time of the year. This book explains why Jesus is Hanukkah's true hero. And if you'd like to learn more about the holiday and other biblically appointed feasts, visit us at chosenpeople.com radio. 
or order the booklet, The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Call us at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA, Y-E-S-H-U-A, the Hebrew name for Jesus. Or write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er panavelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha Shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. At the heart of every believer is a desire to walk in the ways of the Savior. So, we'd like to encourage you to go deeper by connecting with our Messiah's culture and the things he holds dear. Throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was a Jewish man in Jerusalem. And to help you discover the past, present, and prophetic impact, we have a variety of articles, books, and newsletters that will help you to learn more. And you can even invite one of our speakers to your local church. To learn more or to request a church presentation, visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Advent is a time of remembrance and expectation. A time to glance back and look ahead. The term Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Believers in Yeshua have observed Advent since at least the fourth century. During the four weeks leading up to Christmas, they intentionally pondered Yeshua's birth and looked forward to his return. Over time, many communities took up the practice of lighting a candle each week, symbolizing a particular theme. The most common set of themes is peace, hope, love, and joy. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. One of the most well-known Hebrew words, shalom means much more than simply hello or an end to war and violence. Rather, shalom conveys wholeness and well-being. It reflects a holistic understanding of life and health. It is the world as it should be, with the earth, humans, and God in harmony with one another. True shalom only comes through the Messiah, who is called Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Tikva means hope. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. It is expectation, believing in something we do not see, but we know will happen. Tikva likely comes from the Hebrew word for a stretched string or cord used for measuring. Imagine two people pulling at opposite ends of a rope. The tension placed on the cord is an illustration of the tension of hope. We hope in something that we are confident will come to pass, 
but which we do not yet have. During Advent, we remember how the prophets hoped in the Messiah's coming, and today we hope in his future return. Simcha means joy. In scripture, it is often used in connection with celebrating or holding a feast. It is a lighthearted word that conveys fun and delight. Think of your favorite holiday or your best vacation. During Advent, there is immense joy knowing that the Messiah has come and we await that even greater simcha that will fill us when he returns. Finally, Ahava is Hebrew for love. One of God's greatest expressions of love for his people was becoming one of them. It is this love that brings us joy during the Advent season. The Messiah teaches us to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The love he lavishes on us motivates us to show kindness and compassion to those around us. We hope this grows your love for Yeshua and changes the way you think about the Advent season.